Well, good morning, church family. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you sent your Son. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came willingly, voluntarily, to serve us, those who were the enemies of God. And while we were still sinners, you died for us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you sent your Spirit. That upon your ascension, you promised the promise of the Father's gift, the Paracletos, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, the one who would come, and under his influence, we would know that our relationship with you was broken, marred beyond repair and lost in our sin, that you would give us the privilege and the opportunity to call out to you for help, for salvation. From down in the pit, from down in the muck and the mire, and that you would answer and we would be born again of the Spirit. And so today, on this day that we celebrate Pentecost, you're pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon your people. We thank you. We thank you, God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray these things and give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So we left those kids with a question, and it's the same question I'm going to begin the sermon with today is, are we producing good fruit? There's really no question about whether or not we produce fruit. Even Jesus said that, the Pharisees, the scribes, the false prophets, even they produce fruit, but the problem is, is it wasn't good fruit. Last week we left off in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus told those disciples who were going to be different from the false prophets, from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, He said, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking and the door will be open to you. Your lives are going to look different. In 7.13, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many, many who go through it. In verse 15, Jesus said, Be on your guard, beware against false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous ravaging wolves. And then he goes on to say, you'll recognize them by their fruit. See, the problem isn't that people don't produce fruit. It's that people who aren't disciples, who aren't born again by the Spirit, the fruit that they produce is bad fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. So my question is, are we, Poetry Baptist Church, are we producing good fruit? See, Jesus goes on to say at the end of that section, that sermon from last week, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but when I read that in Scripture, it causes a little bit of concern. 
And if you don't have any concern about that, you, you read a section of Scripture and you say, you know what, I'm good. I'm good, I don't have to have any concern about my eternal destination. I don't have any questions about security, about whether or not I'm in right relationship. I don't know. I'm not saying that if we really are, that we have to question it. I'm not saying as some uh, denominations and some faith uh, groups believe is that you can lose your salvation. But the question is, is you got a guy like Paul who did all the things that he did and he talked about perseverance and endurance all throughout his epistles. He talked about it. He was concerned about it. And he even wondered whether or not at the end that he might be disqualified from the race. And I think we've gotten to a place in our comfort, in our American Western culture, that we're so comfortable with Jesus. We're so comfortable with Jesus that we don't worry one bit at all. And I think that's cause for worry question that I often get from people is how could a loving God send people his creation to hell how could a loving God do that how could a loving God send people his creation to hell for all eternity you may have an answer in your head already but I would challenge that possibly and say I don't think God does send people to hell You may say, "Uh uh-oh, our pastor just made a huge theological error. He's one of those universalists. Everybody's going... I said, no. No, 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 no. You misunderstand. I just don't think God sends people there. We make that choice. We made it in Eden, and we make it people who are lost every minute of every day. We make that decision See, what God did send, He didn't send us to hell. What He did send is He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. We read that all throughout the Gospels. All throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is anticipated. He's prophesied. Over 70 major prophecies. 333 ramifications of those prophecies. God sent His Son. And see, the problem is, when we ask ourselves that question, are we producing, I don't know, first of all, if you're even asking that question. You should be. Are we producing, am I producing, the kind of fruit, the good fruit, that Jesus is talking about? Am I? And then the next question should be, when we read something like Jeremiah and it says, the heart is deceitful of all things. See, you've got this guy, Satan, and he's deceitful, and then the human heart trumps even Satan. The heart is deceitful above all things. And we say, I don't really have to worry about that. See, because I got a right relationship with Jesus, I asked him into my heart, I'm good. See, because if you're going to ask the question, are we producing fruit? The problem is, is that we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're producing kingdom fruit. We can. We can look out at all kinds of denominations and faith groups, and I don't think that they're pursuing their goals of bad fruit intentionally. 
At least in some way, I think that a lot of people think I'm doing something good. I think I really am producing good fruit. I really think that I am the kind of person who God is going to look at me and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. But what Jesus has to say is, right here in Matthew 7.21, Not everyone. And I wonder, do you ever worry... Do you ever question whether or not you're one of those people who Jesus is talking about right here? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why does Jesus and Paul and all through the scriptures spend so much time trying to tease out, to flesh out This sense that it's like, we can think we're doing really good things, but as Proverbs 4.12 tells us, there's a way, there's a way that seems right to us, to a man, to humanity. There's a way that seems right to us, but in the end, where does it lead? It leads to death, to destruction. See, we come into this world already on that path. We come into this world broken, riddled, separated from God in our sin. And then somehow along the way, somebody tells us, somebody teaches us, well, if you kind of do a little bit of this, if you go to church on Sunday, if you sing a song, if you ask Him into your heart, if you do those things, then what I can tell you is is that, you know, if you prayed that prayer today, then you never have to worry. And I want to tell you, you should worry. Because Paul the Apostle, the one who went on multiple mission trips, who built churches, who was thrown in prison, who was beaten with rods, and I guarantee there's not a single person in here who's been through a fraction of what Paul's been through, and he said, I don't want to be disqualified. He wrestled with it. He didn't show up to church on Sunday and say, I asked Jesus in my heart, I'm good. I'm good. He labored for the work of the gospel literally to the ends of the earth. Every minute of every day, that was his focus. All of his attention went into it. And what we do is see we dabble. We dabble. We dabble in our faith. We dabble in Christianity when a little bit of spiritual warfare that we don't even recognize it for what it is pops up in our life. We crumble like a house of cards. We throw in the towel and we say, Jesus, what I was really wanting from you, what I really expected from you was a good life. I really wanted the cancer to go away. I didn't want anything bad to happen to my wife or my kids or granny. I didn't want any of that bad stuff. And when you didn't show up, how am I supposed to know that you're really there? Are we producing good fruit? How can we know? See, Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 says, examine yourselves. It's plural. Not examine yourself. Examine yourselves. See, a couple weeks ago, we read through uh, Matthew, and it said, don't judge. 
How are you supposed to examine yourself and see whether or not you're in the faith if there's no judgment involved? If there's no discernment? If we're not judging between right and wrong, between bad fruit and good fruit, then what are we supposed to do? Then Paul's just talking out of the side of his mouth. Examine yourselves. Well, how can I possibly do that if I can't judge? See, we're supposed to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. And then he goes on to say in the second part of that verse, Test yourselves. Examine and test. Over and over and over. Not one time. Not at youth camp. Not the day that you asked Jesus into your heart through a magical prayer. But over and over, every moment of every day. Suit up. Put on the full armor of God. Test yourselves. Because if you're going to go into battle today, if you're going to go Vincent, if you're going to go Robert, Andrew, John, if you're going to go into battle today, you've got to test yourselves. Why am I going? What am I doing? And am I prepared? Are we producing good fruit? Are we producing good fruit? we got a lot of churches doing a lot of things. Some of you who are in leadership in the church, some of you who have been around me for a while know that I hate words like program or programs. I don't like it because as a church, we're not supposed to have programs. We're supposed to have ministries. We're supposed to make the gospel central to each and everything that we do. Everything. We have a mission statement to pursue, win, and disciple the lost, deluded, and disillusioned for God's glory. And if what we're doing doesn't accomplish that, then why are we doing it? See, because it's possible to produce good fruit apart from pursuing that mission. You can't pursue, win, and disciple the lost, disillusioned, and deluded for God's glory. You can't do that without producing good fruit. You can't. You're either doing it or you're not. But as churches, oftentimes we think, well, if we're nice. If we're nice to people, then we're doing the work of the gospel. I'm not saying that means be mean and crotchety and bitter. That's not what I'm saying. But if the fullness of the gospel is just being nice, hi, how are you today? And that's where we leave it. That's not producing good fruit. Social justice. I've had many discussions with some of the men in our congregation about this. And we often come back and say, what does that even mean? Social justice. And we come up with things like, well, we're supposed to rally for the underdog. We're supposed to be the voice for the person who's being persecuted. We're supposed to be there. We're supposed to stand up for them. And I look in here, and to a certain extent I see it, because in the Old Testament Jesus says that what Israel was supposed to do was to stand up for the widows and the orphans. But that wasn't the fullness of it. They were supposed to be leading such holy lives as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation that people who were lost and who didn't know their God, that they would call out to Him. And they would be saved. Is it just about reform? Is it just about human rights? Is it just about equality? A lot of churches get wrapped up in that stuff and they say, we 
producing good fruit. And I think they're going to be shocked when there's some of those people who on Judgment Day are standing there before Jesus. It says, just because you said, Lord, Lord. But didn't we? Jesus, didn't we? Didn't we do some really good stuff? And he's going to say, away from me, you evildoers, you workers of iniquity, you lawbreakers. See, not only the people who you preached that false gospel to about being nice, about social reform, Not only them, but you are separated from me for all eternity because you never really got it. You never really got it. Well, what does any of that have to do with the sermon today? I hope you're going to see. Today's Pentecost. It's the day that we celebrate Pentecost. It's not Pentecost itself. That happened a long time ago. Pentecost is a celebration the 50th day after Jesus' ascension into heaven. 50 days later... Jesus sent the Paracletos, the Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit that was promised. The Father's promise. He came. And before that moment, no one had really known what it was like to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in their hearts. Many of us as Baptists, how many, if I asked you to raise your hands, I'm not going to do that. If you knew that today was Pentecost, how many of you would raise your hand and say, I knew that? Or if you did know it, if you did know it, Do you know what it really means? See, there are whole denominations. You look at the Methodist church down the street. Not just that one, but all Methodist churches. You look, their logo has a cross and then it has a flame off to the side. They celebrate the cross, Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. But then they also celebrate the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And I think as Baptists, sometimes we're so fearful of Pentecostals, those people who do that really crazy stuff. They're the people who get really animated in their churches, and they maybe take it a little too far, and so what we do is we say, we got to keep all that stuff out of here. We don't want any of that revival stuff going on in here, so we get a little bit stuffy. And instead of moving around when we sing, we stand still and sing like we're dead. See, there's a revival that needs to happen inside our hearts. Being a Baptist doesn't mean that we're stuffy, that we're judgmental. It means that what we do is we go into God's Word and we see if what it is that we're teaching and we're living, if it's not in here, then we can throw it out. And if what we're living is in here, then good. And if it's in here and we're not living it, then something needs to change. That's what it means to be a Baptist, folks. We can't stand around and expect people to come through the doors of our church and to celebrate with us when the cultural perspective, the understanding, and one of these days I'm going to do this, I'm going to go somewhere like Chick-fil-A. And I'm going to stand there in my cargo shorts and now my grizzly beard and my flip-flops and a t-shirt and I'm going to interview people and I'm going to say, hey, uh, you hear the word Baptist, what do you think of? And we're going to play that video up here and I think some of you 
who have grown up as Baptists your whole life, what you have ingrained in your brain about what it is to be a Baptist, and then you hear what people in our community, in poetry and tarot, what they have to say about what that term means, I think you'll be shocked. I think you will be shocked because it doesn't mean to them what you think it means to you. To them it's going to be legalistic, judgmental, stuffy. That's what it means. See, Pentecost is this time where the Holy Spirit is poured out on people. And there's this revival. See, because people can do stuff up to a point, but apart from the Holy Spirit, it's just stuff. So here we go. If you have a Bible with you, and I pray that you do, I hope you're not just hanging on an electronic device. shared this with a friend of mine the other day. I guarantee if you're relying on an electronic device, whether you're here at this church or you're listening online, that you're one of those people that when your message from Facebook pops up or you get an email or some sort of an alert, that you're going to be like the, the little dog in the Disney movie Up that had the little collar on him and he could speak. And I see the older people are looking at me like they have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. The young people get it. Is it, and then he's sitting there and he's talking to his master and a squirrel goes by and the dog is instantly distracted. And his little voice communicator, you can hear what he's thinking, and he says, squirrel. And that's us when we have these electronic devices, squirrel. And God's trying to talk to us in our hearts and the Spirit's trying to move, squirrel. And we get lost. So I want you to dial in. Acts chapter 1. Try not to let any squirrels run around. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. While he, this is Jesus, was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... These are the disciples. Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father is set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching. And a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly, two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. That's Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. It might seem strange to you that on the day of Pentecost that I'm not preaching from Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is actually poured out. But what I really wanted to hit on today is the mistakes that we make, the mistakes that we make prior to that end up causing us not to be equipped with power. And there are many of them. 
the first one we have here. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. That's Acts 1.4. I got a little slide up here in the sanctuary. It says, going without the Spirit is dot, dot, dot. We're going to spend a lot of time right here. Because I think that in our private lives and in our corporate life as a church, not just here at Poetry, but as the capital C church, the universal church, what we do a lot of times is we think, I've got it figured out. I've got this dialed in. I know what the mission of God is. And so I'm going to go out and I'm going to get some stuff done. Going without the Spirit is, there's a big word, it's sin. There's a book that I read years ago about leadership while I was in seminary. A guy named Bill Hybels, you may have heard of him, pastor of a megachurch. He was saying that kind of in the heyday of the church, that he rarely, if ever, really spent any time in prayer. Really, rarely, if ever, spent any time seeking God. He was like, I'm a really smart guy. I'm a really smart guy and I got stuff figured out. I am a high caliber leader. I rally people to me. I motivate folks. I cast vision. People get a hold of that and they get excited about it. People want to be near me. I send them out. I'm great at delegating. And the church is doing incredible stuff. We've got this music ministry. We've got a preaching ministry. We've got a teaching ministry. We're publishing videos. There are churches all over the country who are coming to our church to see how to do ministry. How did you guys blow up from a church of 50 to a church of 5,000, 10,000? How did you do it? And what Bill Hybels would tell you is that his church was a great failure because he wasn't a pastor who spent a lot of time in prayer. He said, I had a racehorse mentality. You just point me in a direction, I knew how to run. I knew how to run. And he thought that's what leading was. And I think that as a church, oftentimes that big three-letter word, S-I-N, is what we're doing because we think we've got it figured out. See, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is, hey little kids, what's that word? Don't say action. What's that word that starts with I-M-P? See, just like that camel getting slingshot on roller skates, all greased up, downhill, into that eye of the needle. Is it possible for that camel to get in there? No! But see, that's what we do when we go without God is that we think we can do some really good stuff. But it turns out that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it really is impossible to please God apart from faith? See, there's another one. This is one that's probably one of my greatest profound verses in all of Scripture that just completely, radically transformed my understanding of Scripture. Anything that does not come from faith is sin. Romans 14, 23. 
the tail end of that verse says, and anything that does not come from faith is sin. You can do a lot of good stuff in your own mind. But does it please God or is it sin? In Exodus 33, after the golden calf incident, Moses is standing there and Moses has this love affair with God. Do you have something similar? Do you have a love affair with God? I mean, do you wake up in the morning and you just want to sing His praises? Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you're... Or do you just wake up like Bill Hybels and just kind of racehorse mentality? Just get on with the day. I know what needs to get done. I can do it. God, if I need something, I'll call you. Like 911. If there's an emergency, I know where you are, God. Moses has this love affair with God and in Exodus 33, he's standing there and God says that he wants him to go. And God promises that his presence will go with Moses as the people are going into the promised land. And Moses calls out back to God, desperate, desperate. And he says to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Have you ever woken up in the morning and said, God, I don't even want to get out of bed if you don't show up. Because there's not a single thing that I can do that will bring honor and glory to your name. Not a single thing. Not the way I eat breakfast. Not the way I drink my coffee. Not taking a shower. None of it will glorify you. None of it. Unless your presence goes with me. That's how Moses... He stood there resolute. I can picture him just like a little kid. I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to budge, God, unless you promise me that your presence will go with us. And if it's not going to go, then I'm not going. I'm going to stand right here. And I think God absolutely loved that prayer and He honored it. Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer? Do we think that we can produce good fruit without God? Action without faith is sin. Action without faith is sin. There's a lot of people out there. Young people will hear this a lot. You'll hear it maybe when you go off to college. You'll hear it in high school. People saying, well, you know, I, I, know, I know some people that are, that are just good people. Well, I know a guy that, you know, his dad built, built a children's hospital. Well, does he know Jesus? No. Well, then building that hospital, you know what that is? It's sin. And if you're sitting there and you have a problem with that, then you don't have a problem with me. You've got a problem with Scripture because it just said anything, everything that is not done in faith is sin. It's not to say that good things can't happen, that maybe a chaplain is in that hospital and he ministers to a family, a child with cancer. It's not saying that anything that happens there, everything that happens there, but the person who did it, trying to bias, you know, buy his way into heaven, stairway to heaven kind of mentality, is that that's my good work, God. Action without faith is sin. James 2.26, James, Jesus' brother, writes and he says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. 
As the body without spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. See, there are people that think I can do good things, but I don't necessarily need faith. And there are people over here in this camp that say I can have faith, but I don't really have to do anything. And I'm okay. And the problem is, is that they're both wrong. See, action without faith is sin, and faith without action is dead. It's sin. You're still stuck. Faith without, faith without action is fiction. It's false. It's a lie. Faith without action is fiction. Jesus goes on to say in chapter 5, I'm sorry, in verse 5, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. See, you're supposed to go to Jerusalem and wait for this outpouring of the Spirit, but because between then, now and then, if you do anything, it's going to be sin. You can't accomplish anything without the Spirit. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's going to happen in just a few days. And their first question, when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit in just a few days, verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Ah! Ah! If you wonder if evidence of the Spirit really is patience, the fact that Jesus Line them all up and slap is evidence that Jesus had supernatural divine patience. You guys have been with me for three years. You saw me go to the cross. You've seen that I'm resurrected. You've met me here. I'm now getting ready to ascend to heaven to glorify the Father. And the one question that you guys want to ask me is, is, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Ah. I just promised you the Holy Spirit. And your focus isn't on the gospel to the ends of the earth. The focus is on the restoration of Israel. So Jesus is... It's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by His own authority. It's not for you to know. I know that there are pastors out there... Hagee's a good one, a good example of this, is that he has this fascination with, unhealthy fascination with the end times. Virtually every book, every sermon that he does, he somehow weaves in something about the end times. Everything! Oh, there's a red moon, you can look up and you can see this, and look at time because there's this going on in the Middle East. Because there's this going on in, in Israel, Jerusalem. It's the end times. What Jesus said is, it's not for you to know. What's the fascination? I sit down with Connor oftentimes and he's working on homework or Bible verses. And if we put a timer on the microwave oven or somewhere, what Connor will do is he'll spend half of his time looking we at the clock. What? Five more minutes. Five more. How much time did you actually spend working? See, what Jesus wants us to do is to go out and produce good fruit. 
And if we're sitting there and we're taking care of the field and we're working on producing good fruit and we're constantly looking at the sky, I think I see a star, the oceans, the the rail, and we're constantly focused on the times and the periods, then we stop focusing in on the work. It's not for you to know. I don't think it's because Jesus wants to keep secrets from us. It's because, squirrel, we're so easily distracted. We focus on the wrong things. We focus on the wrong things. In verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. I don't know about y'all, but... That is one encouraging verse or passage of Scripture. You will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You know, Paul said something and we looked at it. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. You will receive power. Have you? Have you received power? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. If there's no power in your ministry, what might that be telling you? What might that be telling you if you, one, don't have a ministry, or two, there's no power in your ministry? Has the Holy Spirit really come? The truth is, is we do. We receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That word witnesses in the Greek, that's martyr. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. You will. Jesus doesn't say you might. Jesus isn't just saying that as just basically a command. I'm going to tell you, young man, I'm going to tell you that you will. You will be my witness. No, what he's saying is, he says, you will. You will be my witnesses. And so if you're not being a witness, a martyr, if you're not someone who's bearing and testifying to the truth and the reality of the gospel in Jerusalem, in your own backyard, in Judea, in your area, Samaria, even beyond, to the end of the earth, if you're not doing that, What question might you be asking yourself? Are we producing good fruit? Am I producing good fruit? Maybe the question is, is, have I really been born again? See, because Jesus said that you will receive power and you will be my martyrs. You will be my witnesses. You will bear testimony. You will. Yep, Paul said it, test yourselves. Surely, that's not the woman's name, surely, surely, surely you can see Christ Jesus is in you, unless, unless, maybe there's no evidence of it. Maybe there's no evidence, there's no testimony of the reality of Christ resurrected, the Holy Spirit born again in our lives. See, being witnesses isn't optional. Those two men that came down from heaven, 
They saw the disciples in verse 10. While he was going, that's Jesus, they were gazing into heaven. Suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? Why are you still here? See, what we need to do is we need to focus everything on the last thing Jesus commanded. What's the last thing that Jesus told you to do? Was it to reconcile a relationship? See some people shaking their head. I'm not maybe for you it's not, but maybe for somebody else it is. Maybe Jesus told you to reconcile a relationship and you said, "No, I'm just going to go and produce good fruit over there." And Jesus is going to keep hitting the reset button on you. He's just going to keep hitting the reset button. See because you need to focus everything on the last thing Jesus commanded. There's no go-round. There's no, Jesus, I'll come back to that later on. Whatever it is that Jesus commanded of you, that last thing, focus everything on that. Focus everything on that. See, the last thing that Jesus said to these guys was, verse 4, while He was with them, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem! But wait, so they're supposed to stay and they're supposed to wait. And what it seems like they're doing in this moment is they're just fascinated with Jesus disappearing off. Why do you stand looking up into heaven? Why? This same Jesus will come in the same way. I don't know if you all know this or not. I hope that you do. But Jesus is coming back. I got one. I think maybe I might have gotten two. Did y'all not hear me? Jesus is coming back. Amen. It was a little forced. It was a little forced. Jesus is coming back. I don't know how you feel about that, but it makes me pretty excited. Is that every day you get to wake up and you get to be a part of history. See, we get to open up this good book and we get to flip through it and we get to read about fools who live foolish lives, ignorant of the fact of who God is and what He called us to be and to do, reconciled with Him. And then you get to read about other people who were sold out. I'll stand in a lion's den. I'll stand in a furnace. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll sell shoes on the moon if that's what you want me to do, Jesus. I'll do it. Because it doesn't matter to me as long as your presence goes with me. But if your presence doesn't go, don't you send me from here. Because if you're not there, I don't want to be there. I just want to be with you. The same Jesus will come in the same way He's coming back. And I wonder, are we really living in a way that bears that testimony? Are we really being martyrs, witnesses, bearing the truth of the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, area to the ends of the earth? Are we really living a way to produce good fruit that makes people out there look at us and say, that guy right there, he believes that Jesus is coming back. That guy right there, he believes it. 
And the reason why he keeps knocking on my door and saying, man, neighbor, I really wish, I really wish you'd go to church. I really wish you'd come with me. Ride with my family. Take your own car. Swing from rope to rope. Slide downhill on a slope. Whatever it takes. I feel like I'm starting to turn into Dr. Seuss here. Whatever it takes, get to church. Hear the gospel. I want to live it out for you. See, because I don't want you to go to that place. God's not going to send you there, but you've made a decision. You don't want a relationship with Him. How could a loving God send someone to hell for all eternity? I don't think He does. I think you and I and the people out there get to make that choice. Are we producing good fruit? Are we producing good fruit? I've put this uh, up here the last couple of weeks. Ministry is irrelevant when... Ministry is irrelevant when... Today I just want to say I want to abbreviate that a bit. I've said some things like when it doesn't intersect with people where they live, play, work, and learn. When it doesn't function. And I think the most simplistic way to think of it is ministry is irrelevant when the Spirit's not present. See, when the Spirit's not present, we can't produce good fruit. It's just sin. That's why as a church, we have a mission statement. We do ministry. We don't do programs. Let's pray together. Father God, We thank you again that you sent your son. Lord Jesus, thank you for raising your hand in eternity past and saying, here I am. Father, send me. I'll go. And that you endured the cross for the joy, for the absolute joy set before you. That you would see those of us who are lost in our sin and our shame that you would see us rescued from the pit of hell. And that you would raise us up in yourself in order that in the coming ages we would sing your praises for eternity. Holy Spirit, today we celebrate you as part of the Holy Trinity, the Spirit that dwells in our hearts. Don't send us forth from this place, God, unless your spirit comes with us. We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.